0: Morning, everyone. How many books are there in the Bible? And uh, how many authors are there? <laughs> More than forty authors, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and uh, it was written over a period of at least one thousand five hundred years. Uh, and the writers of the Bible came from different social and occupational backgrounds. Uh, for example, Moses was a political leader, uh, Joshua was a general, Solomon was a king, and Amos was shepherd, Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and Daniel politician, Peter, fisherman, Luke, a physician, Matthew, a tax collector. And the author of the Bible also wrote in completely different geographical environments and under different circumstances. For example, Moses in the desert, Jeremiah imprisoned, and David in the mountains and in his palace, Paul imprisoned and Luke during his journeys, and John, of course, in exile in the island of Patmos. They wrote in different state of mind as well. One in a state of great joy, sometimes other state of mourning, despair. And when you read the Bible, usually there are two difficulties in reading the Bible. One is mental and the other is moral. The mental problem or difficulty is when you don't understand uh, the Bible. When you read it, you struggle with it. But the other difficulty is the moral problem and that is when you do understand And so most people, I think, have more of moral difficulty than mental difficulty. And it was Mark Twain, maybe not Mark Twain. Nowadays, I I don't know. But it was attributed to him. I try to check whether it's authentic or not. Some say yes, some say no. I don't know. So don't take it as uh, 100% kind of things that's from him. He said that some people... Are troubled by the things in the Bible, they can't understand. Say he it in the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bothers me. It is the parts that I do understand. Many people like to find excuses. Oh, I don't understand. But what about those passages in the Bible that you do understand? Like love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do understand, right? It's quite clear cut and when we come to the book of james which we are going to do uh, we're going to study together over the next 3 months i think james is that book in the bible that you read through no one can say i don't understand no one with some basic english comprehension can read through the five chapters in 15 minutes and say i don't understand because it is so easy to understand You only need to spend 15 minutes to read through that five chapters. I have read through 50 times uh, in trying to prepare this series of sermons. I read through 50 times. Every morning, the first thing I do when I walk is I play the uh, book of James. And I time it, it's about about 15 minutes. And I read it through, and I understand completely... (laughs) Every single word that is written there. Uh, The context, even if you don't understand the context, it is powerful. You understand. So I think as we study the book of James, it poses more moral problem for us rather than mental problem in this book. And what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to give you uh, the author. Who wrote this book of James? We want to find out about this man and something that we can learn from him before we study the content of what he wrote. So who is the author of James? Well, there are a couple of uh, contenders, three, few options. You know, There are a couple of James in the New Testament, probably about five, uh, but potentially more well-known ones are three of them. And of course, the third one is the one that I believe, and most people believe, is the author of the book of James. But uh, let me just give to you a a few. First one is James, the son of Alphas. In case you don't know, he is one of the 12 disciples. James, the son of Alphas, there are two there, two Jameses. Uh, James, the son of Alphas, he is often known as James the Lesser, James the uh, Little One. Uh, he, James the Minor, uh, And we don't know much about him. Although he's one of the 12 disciples, there are very little that we know about James, the son of Alphaeus. The only thing that we can infer on him is that he could, he might be the brother of Matthew, the text collector, the first book of the gospel. Because uh, in Mark chapter 2, it tells us that Matthew, whose name was Levi, was the son of Elvis. So if uh, there is some relationship there, he probably might be the brother of Levi or Matthew. Other than that, we don't know a lot about him. Uh, apparently, as we read through the four Gospels, he sought no recognition. He displayed no great leadership like other disciples. He asked no critical questions at all. He demonstrated no unusual insight. Only his name remains and all his life and labors are basically sunk in obscurity. We don't know. We don't know much about him. So it is very unlikely that he... It was the author of the book of James, because as you begin to read the book of James, you know that this man is very established. Everybody knows him. He doesn't even need to introduce himself in many sense. Uh, people know who he is, very powerful man, and very established in the Jewish community. So, probably not James, the son of Elphus. The second one is James, the son of Zebedee, which is probably a little bit more known to us, he is, of course, the older brother of the Apostle John. Uh, two, two sets of brothers. If you do not know, there are, 12, there are two sets of brothers there, James and John and Peter and Andrew. There are two sets of brothers, the disciples of Jesus. And so uh, Pete, uh, James was the brother of the Apostle John. And, of course, his nickname was Bonagus, which is son of Thunder. He's a man of great intensity. And he, of course, belonged to the uh, inner tree of Jesus' disciples. Out of the twelve, Jesus focused on three. There's Peter, James, and John. And out of the three, Jesus zoomed in on Peter, which became the chief apostle. So he belongs to the inner tree of Jesus' disciples. And he was the first apostle to be martyred. He wasn't the, the first martyr. Of course, Stephen was, but the first apostle to be martyred. In uh, John X uh, chapter 12, it tells us about his martyrdom. He was beheaded with a sword in Jerusalem sometime between 41 and 44 AD by the order of Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa uh, is the grandson of Herod the Great. There are many of Herods in the Bible, if you don't know. Uh, King Herod and, and King Herod Agrippa who martyred... Uh, James uh, was the grandson of Herod the Great. And so, since he lost his head so early by Acts 12, it would be an impossibility for him to have written this epistle. He would have been in glory by this time. So, probably it's not James the son of Zebedee or James the son of Alphaeus. the most likely candidate, the most... Uh, biblical scholars believe it is the James, the brother of Jesus, or half brother of Jesus. if You want to be a bit more specific. Uh, it might surprise you that Jesus had brother. In fact, he had four brothers, or and and at least two sisters. Uh, after uh, Jesus was born by Mary, let me just show you a few things. Mark chapter six tells us that Jesus left his hometown uh, and and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples and when the sabbath came he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed where did this man get these things they amazed how did Jesus able to to say this kind of thing they are what what is what is this wisdom that has been given him what are these remarkable miracles he is performing isn't this the carpenter isn't this Mary's son And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And of course, Jesus went on to say, "Well, a prophet has no honor in his homeland." And of course, Catholicism has always preserved that Jesus, uh, Mary is is virgin right throughout, has no other children. And of course, in this text, they were says that they are cousins. They are not. Uh, because Aramaic language, they don't have words for uh, cousins. And therefore, they will view this as their cousin, or they try to go around by saying that Joseph may already be married before, and these are his uh, children uh, from the first marriage. But most Protestants see no evidence or need for Mary to remain a virgin after the birth of Jesus. So we take the simplest reading, And James and his siblings were children of Mary and Joseph, younger brothers and sisters of Jesus. And so it is this James, the eldest, the second born of Mary, uh, the first born of Mary and Joseph, who many believe is the author of the book of James. Let me just, uh, from the time that I have, show you briefly uh, who is this man, how he moved from completely do not believe in Jesus to became one of the mightiest men in the early uh, church became the first pastor in Jerusalem we we't know we, we know very little about James as a child and a young man. We do know that he did not believe in Jesus during his early ministry. Uh, in Mark chapter 3, it says this, Who are my bro- mother and my brothers? Remember, uh, Jesus was uh, talking to the crowds, the gathering to, to see Jesus, and they were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat, and then Mary and and his children, and Jesus' brothers and sisters, show up at a house where he was staying, because they assumed that he had gone crazy, preaching and teaching, they want to bring him back, and come on, come home, on, come on, come. probably not Mary, but all the the siblings, Jesus actually refused to see them saying, here are, who are my mothers and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And then in John chapter 7, it also says Jesus was out in Galilee he was uh, purposefully staying away from the city because the leaders were trying to kill him. But when the Jewish feast of Jewish festival of Tabernacle was near, and uh, this is what the brothers say to Jesus: "Say leave Galilee. A bit of s- sarcasm there, you know. Uh, he said, leave Galilee. Galilee is, uh, uh, you know, up north, you know.'" If you really are a prophet, you won't be here. You should go down south to Jerusalem. You know, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing this thing, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so, so his brothers, including James, he was not a believer at all. Even when Jesus started out as a 30-year-old man doing ministry, they do not believe in Jesus. Maybe they were a bit jealous about Jesus because he... Can imagine the perfect child at home? Mary don't have to, you know, correct him of anything, you know. Uh, maybe the, the siblings became very jealous. And many times, siblings' rivalry in some sense, are contributed by parents uh, for showing favoritism and all that kind of stuff as well, like Joseph. Um, and so, so he wasn't a believer. James wasn't a believer at all. But somewhere between John 7 and the next round, we see James, he hop across to Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Somewhere between James, John 7 and Acts chapter 1, during that period of time, James became a believer because in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, appeared, appeared, uh, stayed with the disciples, and then ascended to heaven and asked them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Somewhere between the time, he became a believer. Look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And all the disciples were there as well. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And his brothers, including John, they were all up in that room waiting. What happened? You know what happened? Jesus actually appeared to James after He resurrected from the dead and because of him appearing to james james life completely turned around completely sold out to jesus look at 1 corinthians 15 this is what paul account then he appeared to james and to all the apostles Uh, prior to that paul was saying that jesus died was buried he was raised on the third day and then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And then he appeared to James. Paul single him out. single him out. He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And of course, Paul, as humble as ever, said, And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the reason Christ specifically appeared to his brother James. Jesus revealed himself to James in a personal post-resurrection revelation. And that is precisely why James and the other brothers, they were in the upper room waiting for instruction for the Holy Spirit to come. And James became a very, very involved in the ministry and became a very powerful man. Even Peter, who is known as the apostle to the Jews, and Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles, both of them who is in their own right, James is, Peter is the, is the chief apostle, and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, both of them seem to look up to James as their leader. Both of them. Let me show you uh, some other text before I come and give you three applications on the life of uh, a person of James, and then we can study the book subsequently. Look at Acts chapter 12. Remember, by this time, uh, sorry, uh, let me paint to you the content. By the time the Holy Spirit came, and then they all preached the gospel, and, and then all start to branch out and preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and the Samaria, and other parts of the world, and they are slowly moving up. Peter, at this stage, uh, preached the gospel, and he was, and James was martyred, and they kind of like it, they seem to think that Jewish people are very happy, and so Herod put Peter and, in, in prison, and they gathered together to pray for Peter, and then Peter was released, and when Peter was released, he was knocking at the door, and this girl went and see, couldn't believe it, you know, sometimes you pray for answer. Prayer when you pray, answer. You don't really believe it, uh, or maybe you pray but you don't believe that God will answer. Uh, Acts chapter twelve said this: Peter motioned to, with his hand for them to be quiet after he entered the house, and he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And look at what Peter said. The next thing: Tell James. Tell James. Somehow James becomes. The key figure in the early church he said, "Tell James, you either going to tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this he said and then he left for another place. See James has become very prominent in the early church, and then as james and, and as Peter continued to begin to preach round and then you move the next passage that James appears against is in the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Because Paul went on to preach, and then when you must understand, uh, you must understand that it's a transition time. The gospel as well, God used the Jewish people, chose the Jewish nation as a group of people to reach the world, to represent Him on earth, but they failed and they went into exile and all that, and then coming of the Messiah, and the gospel is slowly going to the Gentiles. But During the early church time, that is the transition from the Jew to the Gentile. There's a lot of things that is moving from the old covenant to the new covenant, from the law to the Spirit. A lot of things are transition. And so when you read Acts and the letters that Paul has to deal with, it's always this transition time between the conflict of Jews and the Gentiles. And so one of the questions in Acts chapter 15 is when Paul begins to preach the gospel, people say, oh, well, 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 before they are saved, they need to be circumcised. Because that's the heart of it all. So if you turn to Acts chapter 15, you will see that that was the main issue. The men, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and they were teaching his brother, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Forget about what Paul says. Unless you are circumcised, you are not saved. That is the key, all right. And so, Paul has issue. What should we do? Because it's a transition time now, what should we do? So, Paul went back to Jerusalem and asked who else but James and the elders. There's a council there to decide what should we do? I don't know, executive meeting or something, elders meeting. What should we do with this issue of telling the Jewish people that No, that is not necessary now that Christ has come. What should we do? And so they discussed those issues in the council. What is the appropriate action to take now under such circumstances of transition between the Jews and the Gentiles? The Jews still keeping the law, but Gentiles don't have the law anyway. They convert. They believe in Jesus. What should they do? And I'm not going into detail. All that I want to say is James was the leader of the pack in the Jerusalem council. When they finished, James spoke up. James, after they heard a report from Paul and Barnabas, James would preside over the council. All right, what should we do? He's like a chairman or something like that. He said, brothers, he said, listen to me. And then move it down to verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The point that I want to bring up in Acts 15 is that to establish that James became the leader of the Jerusalem Council. He's the head. He's the number one man. He's a very powerful man. And then, let me just move on to one more. In Acts chapter 21, that will be the last time that you see James. And then I'll give you three applications of his life. Acts chapter 21, you see that uh, they, they decided what to do. They asked them to do certain things. asked them to uh, exempt from certain food, but there are a lot of rumors. Just in any leaders, are always criticism about Paul. They spread rumors about him. He's lost the Jewish heritage. He kind of just only reaching out to Gentiles. He's no longer a Jew. Let me just read this text to you. Then it become clearer. All right, when we arrive at Jerusalem, Paul says the brothers and sisters receive us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. Again, reporting to him. Went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. They said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses. See the rumor? The the rumor that they spread? They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our custom. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So again, the rumour has been spreading, even though after they have dispatched the letter, still can't contain the rumour that Paul is kind of abandoning his Jewish faith and all that kind of stuff. So, just what shall we do? They will certainly come here that you have come. So do what we tell you. So, so James and the other elders came to a solution and said, well, there are four men with us who have made a vow. Take this man, join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you. But that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. James again, final time appear to play a part in giving advice to Paul what to do during this transition time of moving from the old covenant to the new covenant in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. It's a very delicate situation. They don't want to upset the Jewish Christian, but yet at the same time, their law is unnecessary now because we're moving into the new covenant. And so James helped in many ways to move in this very difficult, crucial transition time. That is the quality that he has. So all that I've been doing is trying to establish to you who this James is. He's a brother of Jesus. He, he, he From an unbeliever, he became a believer because Christ appeared to him and he became a very, very powerful and a pillar. In fact, Paul said in Galatians, he's a pillar of the early church. Both Peter and Paul, the apostles in their own right, look up to James for leadership. And it is this James that writes the book of James. And so who is James? Who really is James? Other than we say that he's a brother of Jesus. But what kind of man was he? All the data aside, what kind of man was he? Have you read through the book of James? If not, try reading through this week. You read it through a few times, you get the idea about who is this man. He is a man characterized by volcanic energy. His sentences are very short, very forceful, very direct, very compact, very prophetic in tone, very authoritative, and yet warmly pastoral. He's different than Paul. Paul brings up an issue, and then Paul's got to explore everything in it. He's kind of a detailed person. He's got to cover every base. Every size of an issue, before you come up with a question, He provides you an answer. You going to anticipate what kind of question that you may have. He, he'll take a close look at every facet. He'll sweep over the widest range. He plunges into the deepest depth, deals with all responses and all reactions. But not James. James is very narrow, very directed, very powerful, very conviction-oriented. He just blasts the target and moves on to something else, and doesn't deal with what the responses might be. He doesn't care. He goes shooting, and then, and then at the end of the day, after reading five chapters, you feel that oh, you got all gun holes all over your body. He just keeps on shooting, you know. And in his little epistles of five chapters, there are fifty imperatives. Form verbs. He just commands right through the epistle. He doesn't facilitate. He's not a facilitator. What do you think? What do you think? Come to a consensus, you know. He is not like that. He is a leader. He just he just blasts and go through it because he has such strong moral authority in his life to do that on that kind of issues. James is black and white. He's like John. Two brothers, maybe from the from the parents. <laughs> uh, John and James. Every, John is also black and white. If you read John Gospel and one, two, three, John. James is black and white. But the difference is John is James is black and white, and John is also black and white. But John, black and white, about concepts: truth and love, light and darkness. You know, you can see that throughout John Gospel and one, two, three, John. Uh, He's he's black and white in terms of concept, but James is black and white about application. John is black and white about theological issues, but James is black and white about the matters of living. Brief, pointed, his material hits like arrows to the target. Read through this this week, and you will see what I'm talking about. He's a man with strong volcanic energy, and just shoot. No wonder, Uh, I think this kind of leadership is needed in the very strong transitional time. You need someone to bring through that process. I have two things I want to mention to you, uh, or three things under Jesse's broading, broad-heading. I think he's a very deeply spiritual man. History and tradition said that James was an extremely pious man. As you look at the epistle, as you read through this letter, you remind yourself that this is a deeply spiritual man. In fact, tradition calls him James the Righteous or James the Just. That's his nickname. And they said he was so holy, in fact crazy things grew up about him in legends. They said that his knees were like the knees of camels. They had been worn callous like camels' knees because of his much praying. Jerome, which is the early church father, uh, says James, who was the first bishop of Jerusalem and known as the just, was considered so holy by the people that they earnestly sought to touch the hem of his clothing. So he's a very deeply spiritual man. There are three things that I can mention about him. First and foremost, you can see his humility shine through the book of James. His humility can be seen right here in the way he introduces himself in the letter. Look at what he says about himself in verse 1. He said, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, the servant of God. He could have said, James, I'm the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Holy of God of Israel, and the one who personally with my own eyes saw the risen Christ. But you don't see that in his letter. He could have said, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He just says that. Or he could have said, I'm the leader of the church. James, I'm the leader of the church, the pastor of the first church, the brother of the Messiah. No, he doesn't cling on those kind of things. He just simply said, James, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. And in James chapter 4, verse 10, he himself said it again, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will what? Lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. He is a man of humility. As you can see, he may be authoritative, but he is very humble in the way. And he doesn't need much introduction about himself because he's quite established among the people. And that is why uh, scholars conclude that it has to be this James that is writing this book. And not to mention the word greetings there. If you did, the word greetings only appeared another time in the New Testament, and that is in Acts chapter 15 when they drafted the letters After the Jerusalem Council meeting, all that they do is greetings. And so it has to be this particular James that uh, penned this letter. Secondly, the thing that we can mention about James is not just that I think he's, he's also very wise. He's a wise man. He's a man filled with wisdom from God because during this very crucial period of church history, as I say, it was transiting from Old Covenant to New Covenant, from the Jews to the Gentiles, from the law to grace. And this is a very delicate situation that Christ has come, is moving away into the New Covenant, and yet He, as a leader, He's able to help transit, help to support Peter and Paul. Apostles to the Jews, apostles to the Gentiles transit well and handle it carefully. And Paul probably had picked up a lot of things from him, and as a result, in uh, many letters in Ephesians and Romans, Paul has to tackle this problem with Jews and Gentiles in the early church, how to balance it, how to give up your legitimate Christian freedom to support the weak. You don't have to give up your legitimate Christian freedom for the legalist. But you have to give up your legitimate Christian freedom for the weak. Paul says that. And it's a delicate line you have to draw. When should I give up my Christian freedom? Or should I just stick on to it? You know, Paul said, well, you have to give up for the weak. For those who are conscience are a bit weaker, you have to consider them when you practice certain things. But don't have to give up your Christian freedom for people who are legalists. My New Testament professor Calling crews, he referred to this group of people as censorious humbug. But we always Christian must give up our Christian legitimate Christian freedom for people who are weak, but not to legalists. And that is why he's a wise man. And that is why James chapter one he says this, isn't it? It's a common verse, isn't it? Man, he's flies so fast. If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Of course, in the context, it's a a trial. When we go through trials, we tend to respond in a very negative way. And James is saying, well, you ask wisdom from God. God can give you wisdom so that during trial, you can respond in a godly, mature, biblical way. Because trial is something that is incredibly difficult to go through, and I'm sure some of us are going through that, and we need wisdom from god and paul i mean james is such a man he's wise man he draws wisdom from god and he's able to handle this transition time very well and he many christians do not have the wisdom to foster unity in the community and we need to hold on to the fundamentals and yet relax on the peripherals i tend to think that many christians tend to Uh, very strong on the peripherals and very, very uh, compromised on the fundamentals. Uh, And for me as a pastor, I never compromise on the essential truth and yet I'm ready to grant concession to non-essential matters. Non-essential matters. Or in the early church they say, In essential beliefs, let there be unity. In non-essential beliefs, let there be liberty. But in all beliefs, let there be charity. In essential, let there be unity. Non-essential, liberty. But in all things, let there be charity. And James seems to be able to foster that. Okay, you give up this. No more circumcision. But you refrain from eating this food for the time being. Because it's important, kosher, and you, know, you stay on to that. For at least you still can fellowship. You can have meal together. And He seems to be able to 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 have the wisdom and the discernment to know what are the important matter to hold on to, and what are the things that we should relax. And and it require maturity. It require and 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 James is that kind of person. He's a man of wisdom. Know what to fight for and what not to fight. Know how to conserve your emotional energy on things that really, really matter. If we spend all our emotional energy fighting internal church, then you've got no energy for, to win the world. And therefore, unity is essential. And James has the kind of wisdom to know what are the issues to to fight, and what are the issues, to relax. Henry Newman uh, says in one of the leadership books, he said, when we are securely rooted in personal intimacy with the source of life, it will be possible to remain flexible without being relativistic. It is possible to be, remain as convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive. Gentle and forgiving without being soft. And true witnesses without being manipulative. You can toe the line when you are rooted in intimacy with the living God. And the third thing that I want to say before I close is that he's a man of conviction. He absolutely is a man of conviction. You read through the book of James, you know. You know he's a man of conviction. And if, in fact, the whole book of James, if I may summarize what he, what he was trying to look at, he said, this is what authentic faith looks like. This is what genuine faith is like. This is what true faith is supposed to be. And he gave us some criterias of what this true faith, what this genuine faith, what this authentic faith is supposed to be like if you are a Christian. This is what it is, he says. And he he may summarize in three words, he used the motto of Nike. Just do it. There's absolutely no conflict at all between him and Paul. And we'll come to that in a sense. So the book of James is essentially to prove true or genuine faith. And James is going to give us from chapter 1 to 5 a series of tests. On the validity of our salvation. If you say that you are believers, this is what I think some of the things you need to do, he says. This is to prove that your faith is genuine. Have a look, he said. He said, Verbal intellectual assent to the truth is useless unless there is a the demonstration of a transformed life that is marked by righteousness. And let me just show you a few verses. You will roughly know what I mean. He said, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, do what it says. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's basically saying you are going to be judged without mercy in your, if in your life you demonstrated no mercy. If you don't show mercy to people in your criticism and judgment of others, then the same thing will be applicable to you. God is going to use the same measure to you. So He said, it to be... And then... Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Again in verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then again in verse 26, oh, I must have missed it. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Three times Paul mentioned, it doesn't matter what you claim, it doesn't matter what you perform on the outside, the absence of truly righteous deeds, betrays and unredeeming heart. And then James chapter 3 again, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let him show it, basically. Let it be made manifest in the way he lives. And then James chapter 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of god of course you are of the world you are in the world but you're not of the world you live in the world but we adopt worldview as shaped by the scripture Whew. so you can see james is a man of conviction he wants people to see to leave out their christian faith but it is curious curious to me that as we think about some of these introductory things it is curious to me that James does not, does not deal with the essence of salvation at all, isn't it? No, G, nothing about. Why? Because he's writing to, Jewish, writing to Christians. Many times right throughout, if you read through these five chapters, you will see that James constantly referred to, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Implying that they are Christians. So, so there's this underlying assumption here, is that you have people who make a claim to a faith in Christ, so, he doesn't explain what it is to be a Christian because it's assumed. And there are the people who claim that. And Paul is, tr- I mean, James is trying to say, well, since you say you're a Christian, you must live out your Christian faith. He seems to be saying that it won't benefit you eternally unless there's clear evidence that your salvation is the real thing. Saving faith always flows out in good works. James is not in conflict with Paul at all. We'll come to the text later on. Uh, To Paul, the question was, how is salvation received? And in the book of Romans, Paul was asking and answering that question, how is salvation received? And Paul's answer was always by faith alone. But to James, the question is, how is salvation verified? And his answer is always by works alone. And so some of the Lutheran Martin Luther when he read the book of James he actually tore the book of James out because he has been coming from this tradition of work and then he came to know the Lord through the just shall live by faith and here he comes to James huh? so whenever I see Lutheran I say do you have a book of James in your bible uh, there you go so there's no conflict when we come to this how Paul is answering the question how is salvation received and James is answering the question, how is salvation verified? One is by faith, and the other one is, of course, by works. Of course, by works. There's no conflict. There's perfect harmony. My time is up. Let me just finish with this. Not long after his epistle, James was martyred in AD 62, according to tradition. And uh, Eusebius, which is a fourth century church historian, he adds some details to James' death. And let me just form it in a a story form to close it because James was preaching the gospel and it upset the the Sanhedrin council, the Pharisees. As we see that they persecute Jesus, they are coming after James because more and more people are turning to Christ. And so they arrested him. They uh, gave him an ultimatum. They said, well, Passover feast is here. We're going to bring you up here. You're gonna stand up there and you are going to proclaim. You're gonna publicly repudiate Jesus and to urge the people not to let astray by Jesus. You're gonna do that and we're gonna spare your life. So James knew exactly what was coming, but he also knew that they had provided him in his last years with a superb opportunity to bear witness to the whole assembly, assembled people on the occasion of their most sacred feast. And so, does he? of course, agreed. Why not? And was taken to the pinnacle above the crowd. And then the, the, the accuser said, Tell them, what is the gate of Jesus? Meaning, where Jesus was leading them. And James' response rang out to the hushed crowd below. James said, Why are you asking me concerning Jesus, Son of Man? He sits in heaven at the right hand of the great God. And it's about to come upon the clouds of heaven. And the crowd went frenzied, yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. And realizing they had bungled the job, the chief priests and servants hurled James from the top and he plunged down to the floor. But he didn't die. People rushed to the spot where he had crashed to the floor below and they found him still alive and he echoed the prayer of Jesus. I entreat thee, Lord God our Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And in response, one of the soldiers took a club which was used for beating the water out of washed clothes and bashed him to death. One version says they placed a stone on him and bore down on him and crushing him. And thus perished James, the just, the kinsman of Christ, who emulated Jesus in life and death. And so this is the book of James that we're going to study together over the next three months, uh, learn about what authentic faith, what genuine faith is like. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a good God. Thank you for... Today, thank you that you save us, you redeem us, you purchase us, and we want to live for you. We want to be a real, authentic, genuine believer.